0: Hello, I'm Eddie Merckx. Welcome to the Velocast.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Velocast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Twenty-nine riders formed the break of the day on Stage 7 and nestled among its ranks were the current Tour de France yellow jersey wearer Greg Van Avermet and this year's Giro d'Italia winner Vincenzo Nibali. But despite what would otherwise be considered a major shock to the natural order of things, the peloton seemed quite happy to let them gain an advantage well in excess of five minutes. Also lurking within this petite peloton at Le Terre de la Course was Dimension data Steve Cummings, who, with 25 kilometres to go, decided to go all-in for the win and impressively sold his way over the Col d'Aspan to finish in Lac de Puyol, a rider that British Cycling recently left out of their Olympic road race squad because he lacked commitment. Steve, have a pint of Schadenfreude on us.
2: I tell you, that was a finger right up at British Cycling. Um, although I, I think that was probably actually it might have been his primary motivation. But he's, we've seen in the past that this is the kind of thing that he absolutely excels at. Knows his own limits, knew the parkour well, realised that the you know the five six percent slopes of the Col d'Asma were well within his excellent time trial and capability, just to keep it rolling and you know get over the top of the climb. Executed a plan and delivered to perfection. I was absolutely delighted to see him cross the line first, and I think it's a disgrace that he wasn't selected for Rio by uh, by, you know, British Cycling. But for me, that's just a footnote to an amazing performance as the Tour de France enters the Pyrenees this year. Chapeau, absolutely chapeau. To Steve Cummings.
1: And indeed to Dimension Data. Four wins out of the seven stages we've tackled thus far in the twenty sixteen tour, which of course is over fifty percent of this year's tour has therefore been won by Dimension Data. What a stunning, stunning statistic that is. And
2: Mark Cavendish in Green by right. You know, he's got the green jersey at the moment because he has the most points. He's not got it borrowed from somebody else because they've got another jersey. Um, and in fact, it, it was a really thrilling start to the stage that caused ethics a wee bit of sphincter tightening. Because at one point, you know, before the big break formed, we had both Peter Sagan and Mark Cavendish up the road in a break. So although it it we was didn't a day get... for odd
1: breaks, wasn't it? It was a yeah. day for really odd breaks.
2: Yeah, although we didn't get the GC action that I expected today, I think we both did. And even when we hit the asthma, I had a feeling of, you know, a premonition that it was going to blow up, which proved just as, you know, accurate as most of my premonitions do with cycling these days. But even without the GC action, I think we got an enthralling day's racing. And. You know, it, it sets us up for a visit to the Pyrenees that's absolutely fascinating because you've got a Greg Van Avermaet who started the day a big chunk of time ahead and finished the day even more time ahead. So, you know, we're, we're, all we need is another five minutes and we're into Chiapuche territory. <laughs>
1: Well you, you talked about a lot there, so let 's kind of break it down that initial break that had Mark Cavendish and Peter Sagan in it, I think um, Sagan was obviously looking to to gain more points and very interestingly, I thought Cavendish chased him down mm. to 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 make sure that he didn 't get, get all the points and as you used to say that then caused Ethics quick step to to worry as, as to what was going on up ahead and and forced them to chase that initial breakdown because Marcel Kittel was getting worried about it. And then we saw um, what eventually became the the big break of the day, which, as I say, contained the yellow jersey wearer and... and Vincenzo Nibali and of course Steve Cummings who I think as soon as everybody saw him in that massive break you thought well if I had any money to put on the stage winner now it it must surely be Steve Cummings
2: yeah, and of course, when it started to split up, and with 29 riders, inevitably it's going to start to split up at some point, um, it was Cummings who decided this is the break and you know, took off in pursuit of it. And there was a really clear indication that he was catching just with the comparative speeds. I mean, a really useful, unobtrusive bit of data in the corner of the screen that doesn't scream at you. And in the same section of road, you saw that there was a 2k per hour difference between Cummings and the, the guys out in front. Bridged up to them, and then you know, as he said, you know, when you're in a break like that, the only people you can trust are your teammates. So I thought I might as well have a go, and set off, and and absolutely. Typical Steve Cummings fashion, and we, you know, I don't know about you, but I thought it's a good effort. He's going to get reeled in on the climb. It's a cold ass man after all, and it's Steve Cummings. Um, and then uh, it started to develop, and you thought yeah, he might get reeled in, but you know, so would me if he did not start to, to you know to extend his break towards the top. So just a magnificent ride.
1: Which was curious in itself, but not because of what Steve Cummings was doing, because we know he is a wonderful solo breakaway rider. But I think it was more curious for the fact of what was happening in that little trio with um, Vincenzo Nibali and Daniel Navarro. Covidus uh, we spotted a the rider. <laughs> Call off the search party. Uh, everything's okay. Um, Vincenzo and we were thinking, might be the one to, to chase him down because we saw him going on the attack. But I just bizarre set of tactical circumstances today we'll talk about um bmc in a minute who i thought were superb absolutely brilliant i tweeted to say it was genius what they did today but uh, on the other side of the genius coin there is the the just weirdness from from astana vincenzo nibli out in that break now given your very plausible theory regarding Allowing Vincenzo Leeway to get in a break in one of the later stages and then for Fabio Aru to bridge and and potentially win the the entire Tour de France from that scenario, this made no sense to me whatsoever.
2: No, I mean, mean, it made very little sense to me. I'm absolutely baffled with what's going on in in Vincenzo neighbourly land because... You know, for that bridging theory to to hold water, you would expect him to be virtually invisible until he was, you know, the card that needed to be played. Yeah. Um, the only sense I can make of this is that you know he's he's lulling the peloton into a false sense of security by going out in breaks and just not having enough force you know, to drive it home. I mean, he was dropped by Dad Impey, for God's sake. Um, you know, I mean...
1: <laughs> no Vince to Dad Impey, no, but, mean, you know... No, I mean, seriously,
2: Vincenzo Nibali dropped by Daryl Impey. Um, so now my theory is that he reckons 13 minutes is a mere bagatelle, and he's just shadowboxing to, th- to make the peloton think he's got no form at all, we can just let him go, and he's going to try and win a stage by 22 minutes.
1: Now I'm going to br- bring up my tired old trope of in a land where David Miller is considered an intellectual... I I feel I need to ask the question Are cyclists bright enough To to be thinking so many moves ahead John
2: (laughs) I tell you It it would need the cycling equivalent Of deep blue To work out (laughs) what the hell A Stana are doing just now It really would Um, I, I do think I mean I genuinely think They have a plan I just don't think We're seeing it yet And I'm not being You know Conspiracy theorist Or just hoping for more That's developing It's just that we've seen Time and again That they are very good At bringing races home you know, whether the race comes to them as in you know the, the Giro that Vincenzo just recently won, or whether they take the race by the scruff of the neck with, you know, the welter that they, they took from Tom de Milan, I do think they have a plan. I just can't get my head around it just now. And the you know, the fly in the ointment in terms of understanding what's going on is Vincenzo Niboli. And it, I I think Vinokuro's got him out there doing something, but I have no idea what it
1: is. <laughs> Well, there, were, there was very few shots of Fabio Aru today, but the, the few times I did see him, I could almost hear his, his wee brain asking, is this a good thing for me? I'm not quite sure what's going on myself. <laughs> oh,
2: Alexander I, said it would be fine. In
1: <laughs> so, vino you know we trust. Um, <laughs> will Nibali be allowed to get into another break, do you think?
2: Um, I think he will, because he, I mean, he's still a, a metric bucket load of time down. Um but it seems to me weird that he's good enough to, to get into quite elite moves, um, but not good enough to even you know really put the heart on people. If you look at Greg van Avermaet today, I mean, a fantastic classics rider, and if you were seeing him away with... You know Nibali in a, you know a Tour of Flanders. See, um, then yes, you'd say mm, you know that that's a pretty even battle. If you put GVA on the cold asthma with you know with Vincenzo Nibali, you'd expect him to be minutes behind by the top. And yes, he lost time today, still managed to extend his lead. But you know Vincenzo Nibali looked like a very very ordinary rider today but he didn't look like he was suffering like a dog. And that's the confusing thing. He doesn't look out of form. He doesn't look weak. He just looks like he's not trying. Mm. You know, or he's going through the motions to try, but then when he has to give that extra 5% to ram home an advantage that he's forged, he's just going, I can't be bothered. Or, actually, this isn't according to plan I'm going to set up. So I have... I do think they have a cunning plan. You know, a plan so cunning that you could stick a tail in it and call it a weasel. But... I have not got a clue what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah Quality bit.
2: punditry, that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think it's the best we could hope for from anybody, to be honest with you, given how strange and unusual the events were today. Uh, yesterday, we talked about how BMC would, would maybe cope with being forced into defending the, the yellow jersey. But as I mentioned a moment ago, I felt their tactic was superb today. By having Greg Van Avermaet go out into to the break and really it's it's a yellow jersey wearer no dress respect that any of the peloton gives a monkeys about because we're all expecting him to to lose it at some point bmc were therefore excused from riding at the front and we saw sky and and movistar doing all the work there which of course meant that richie port and tg van garderen and attendant domestiques got a free ride today
2: yeah, absolutely amazing bit of work. Um, if he'd been out in that break and then lost time, uh, you know, and he's seen his lead reduced it would still have been tactical genius for BMC because what it did was it took any pressure to perform off the team, you know, so they've got still got their two pronged attack. Richie Port still within, you know, an amazing day in the mountains of the lead. TJ van Garderen managing his position very, very well. And they didn't have to do a lick of work today because they had their man in yellow up the road. And how actually, as an aside, how good was it to see the yellow jersey in a break? It, it went right back to my, you know, we're back in the eighties theme for the other day. Um, so, BMC played a blinder. Now, the fact he's added to the time is just astonishing because it means they can use the same tactic tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they can use the same tactic again on, you know, the decisive day on Sunday in the Pyrenees. The longer he can stay out in yellow, the less work the team that wants to work for Richie Port and TJ van Garden has to do. So you're right. BMC, absolute blinder. You know, brilliant, brilliant tactics. Mm, Maybe and, accidental, uh, it's got to be said, but brilliant nonetheless.
1: <laughs> um, interviewed after the stage, Greg van Avermaet said that he didn't think he would be in yellow at the end of tomorrow. But with six minutes, 36 of a lead, that is a bucket load of time. Is he right?
2: I I could genuinely see him hanging on by 30 seconds tomorrow. You know, one of those things where we've seen it so often in the past where you see a plucky young yellow jersey rider struggling in, you know, on top of some Pyrenean or Alpine giant and just managing to hang on to the jersey, and it's the feel good story of the summer. Um, I think we could we could see GVA hang on to it tomorrow. But make no mistake, tomorrow's a, Although it's, you know, a downhill finish, it's a completely different kettle of fish to what we saw today. So, you know, if he blows, that, you know, those six minutes are gone in no time. Well, in six minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you meant an actual TV time there, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but with that, that potential uh, strategic decision for tomorrow of him getting into the break again... It may not be, you know, hanging on for thirty seconds, having shipped six minutes from from the the GC favourites group that he would have expected to be in all day. If he goes on on search out in search of a, of a breakaway, which could get another five minutes or so, heading towards the the the, the Paris sword tomorrow, that might be enough to. Retain that six minute lead
2: I don't think he'll be Allowed to do it again I think the Peloton Will be looking at What happened today And going Actually that's the last time He gets any leeway We're having him If he goes Um, I think we'll see The GC guys Start to move tomorrow I mean we have to Um you know, there's there's so many big claims, and I think the fact that Greg Van Avermaet has played such a tactical blinder will mean that he's on a much tighter leash leash than he was today. When I'm pretty sure the peloton, like us, expected him to lose time hand over fist.
1: Mm. And speaking of the GC favourites, absolutely nothing from them today. And really, I was I was considering this if you take out. Alberto Contador's crashes and Richie Porte's mechanical. It's been a very, very quiet opening week for the GC,
2: but for the whole peloton, no abandons at all.
1: I was just about to say, perhaps testament to to that is the fact that we still have all one hundred ninety eight riders in the tour after a week of racing.
2: Yeah, I mean, the one surprise on the GC front today, and once we were halfway up the Aspen, it was clear that we weren't going to get really anything in the GC. Um, You know, I was expecting maybe to see some legs being tested, that sort of thing, but we didn't even get that. The one big surprise for me was that we saw um, Francis Dejeu go to the front at the bottom of the Aspen. There were a couple of riders in there. And then we saw Thibaut Pinot dropped. (laughs) Um, which is, is quite an unusual combination I think uh, working so hard at the foot of a climb that you drop your main GC guy and he lost what three minutes by the end mm. uh, so that was that is proof of that old cliche you know you won't win it today but you could lose it um, and I think that's what we saw um, Mark Maddio says they're, they're going to have to look into what's wrong with him he just doesn't have any strength and now they've moved to is it Reichenbach their best place guy Yeah. Um, where you know they still have a plan but it's not you know, the the great resurgence of French cycling. It, maybe he's ill, because he's looked fine up to now. Um and we've seen him climb with the best so often in the past that it was a surprise to see him lose time in the Aspen. But that was uh it was one of those moments where you see Francis de G at the front and your brain instantly goes they 've got real faith in in Pino. I mean you know they 're forcing it they 're forcing it, even movie star and Sky are letting them do the work, and you know you're getting excited about the young Frenchman you know performing super well on his home tour, and then suddenly you go oh he's off the back um and I, I was a bit disappointed actually because that was one of the stories that I wanted to follow at length throughout you know, throughout the tour to see if he could back up his strong performances in the past. I think his best hope now is a stage one.
1: And I think underlining all of these little individual tales that we're telling throughout today is I know the Cold Aspan is a famous name in, in the tour, but it really is Nothing in comparison to the Tourmalet or the Perisord, you know, the, the the circle of death, as, as it's called in the Pyrenees. So to have perf- to, to have guys that are dropping off like this, like um, Thibaut Pino today and, and Vincenzo Nibali not been able to to match Daryl Impe on on that climb, it really just underlines the strangeness. Of, of a lot of these stories today. And I, and I guess it probably should have been a, a, a clue when we saw uh, Juan Antonio Fletcher and Ashley House folk dancing earlier on. In, Did in, my in.
2: head in. I, I can never unsee that. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 there's the
1: whole... Well, I, well, well no, look, before we go to things you early, can't unsee, uh, let's just talk about Oleg Tinkov in the nude. If, if you were talking about things that you cannot unsee, surely that is the the mother, the mother load.
2: Who on earth I mean seriously put yourself in the position you're doing the job centre or whatever it is in Tinkov Land. Um you know, you stand at the back of the cart while they're looking for people to, to pick potatoes or something. Um and you're looking for a job and you think I want to work in cycling. Who on their job description would have expected holding a watering can on top of a car so the boss can have a shower? Um I think that And
1: be accompanied by a cameraman. And another camera person who's taking the photo of all three of them and not one of these people in the photo looks freaked out in any way, shape or form.
2: Absolutely. The best the best comment in the whole thing was from Dan who's He's a funny, funny guy at the best of times. But he said, here's a picture of Oleg Tinkoff getting his stink off.
1: <laughs> I think before we go any further, we should also talk about the Flom Rouge collapsing, which if nothing else, added to the surreal nature of today's stage.
2: See, that, that was actually the perfect example of why, for my tired old eyes, that Orica bike exchange kit is just too much like um, the movie Star kit. Because the first we saw of it was, you know, we'd, we'd followed um, Cummings in, Absolutely brilliant. We saw him cross the line, delighted. Uh, We saw another couple of riders come in and then suddenly we went back to the Flamme Rouge and there it is. It's like reliving the four days of Dunkirk it's happened. uh, The Tour de Suisse is the one that I I most vividly remember where one of these big inflatables collapsed. And there's a rider visibly bleeding, hunched over. Um, And it took me a while to work out it was Adam Yates because my first thought was, that might be Valverde or or Nairo Quintana nipped off trying to get a wee bit of time. Um, And the fact that the bike wasn't there, you know, there's a rider standing alone, was proof that he'd been knocked off by the thing falling on top of him. You know, his bike was still underneath it. Uh, You've got to say, in a tour which I think has been marked by its professionalism so far, uh, with the sensible integration of data, um, you know, it's been a, a... a really enjoyable race to watch, in terms of, of most of the production standards. Even if we've been let down a bit by the parkour, uh, this was was very poorly timed, um, and you know it, it, ASO can do better. I mean, have a man standing there, you know, with a bicycle repair kit or something and a big track pump just in case something goes wrong. Because somebody could get very, very seriously hurt. These things weigh an absolute bloody
1: ton. Well, I think Adam Yates had to have a, a few stitches put into his chin on the stage, so not seriously hurt, but certainly an injury he could do without. Nobody wants to be, uh, be facing a, a sore chin well, just I mean, one kilometre from the line.
2: All joking aside, in a world where there's enough tragedy on the news day to day, There have been cases of folk being killed by collapsing bouncy castles and that kind of thing. So although, you know, you can have a bit of a laugh, um, in a finish like today where you're on a downhill, technical downhill, but they're moving fast. Uh, You know, if you've got a bunch of riders doing 70 or 80 kilometres an hour and suddenly they hit a massive bit of plasticised canvas which is firmly locked to the ground to stop it blowing away when it's inflated, you're looking at a very, very serious Obstacle You know Somebody could have been Adam Yates All due respect You know Ashley as you heard there Mentioned that they saw him Cut and bruised After the finish But somebody could have been Seriously hurt So you know Let's have a laugh at it But you know Let's Let's Please hope they take it seriously because that is a big, big construction. And if it comes down a Peloton barrelling towards the finish, and it's the Flamme Rouge, you know, by definition, they'll be barrelling towards the finish. Um, you know, they need to make sure it, 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 it has to stay up, Matron.
1: Am I a bad person for trying to stifle a laugh when you said death by Bouncy Castle?
2: Yeah, you are. You're you're very bad. There have been families bereft by bouncy castles around the world.
1: Now, I think it's probably time we cross to hear the thoughts of Eurosport presenter and all-comers French country dancing winner for 2016, Ashley House, who spoke to John just a few moments after the stage.
2: Welcome to Ashley House from Eurosport Two Extra and Ashley, um, a very, very exciting stage today. Um, you know, not as much GC action as we expected, although there were some implications, but dear God, Steve Cummings certainly put the finger up to British Cycling for not selecting them for the Olympics, didn't he?
0: <laughs> he really did. What a great stage. I know, John, you're saying that when weren't many gc moves today there wasn't really many weren't really many implications and you're absolutely right of course but what a good idea from the race organizer Mm. to actually plan the first day in the pyrenees to be relatively easy just and have one one serious climb towards the end um and a descent as well it's one of the things about this parkour this year that i'm really excited about is that we've actually got four downhill finishes uh if you include today and um Uh, And just, you get to see a a bit of different racing. And when that breakaway went away today, John, I was looking at it thinking, Okay, all the previews I've read have picked certain people as favourites and every single one of them was in that breakaway. And and at that point, you just go, it's going to be fun.
2: (laughs) And I tell you, we were talking before we started recording about uh, other teams having to think outside the box to beat Team Sky. I thought BMC played a blinder today because by having Greg Van Avermaet up in the break, essentially they've got nothing to do for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. And Greg Van puts another uh, a, a bit more time into, into his lead over over GC, which obviously he's not going to get by the time we get to Paris. But there comes a point, I suppose, where other people have to start con- thinking about what they're going to do about that, as well as what they're going to do about um, TJ Vanguard and, and who knows what's going to go on with Richie Port. The BMC have got a sort of a really clever, uh, probably accidental, if we're honest, three pronged. Um, sort of a three pronged fork to poke the other teams with, which is quite what well, I'm quite looking forward to. I tell you what, the,
2: today was only about one thing really, and that is um, Steve Cummings. I mean, he does this. He he was the first to kind of break the uh, the dam for MTN Quebec as they were at the time and you know, Team Dimension Data this year, and we've got a situation where again he's won in an incredibly stylish way with loads of panache. And if you and I had sat down you know, before it started at Mont Saint-Michel and said, if the next seven stages Dimension Data are going to win four of them, people would have laughed their faces off at us.
0: <laughs> yeah, they really would. I think, to be honest, having spoken to uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Hendricks, the uh, sports director this evening, and a couple of the other guys from the Dimension Data team, I think they would have laughed at us as well if we had said that. Um, I haven't actually managed to do the research yet but I'd love to know when it was the last time when a team won four of the first seven stages you can probably tell me John off the top of your head no, you can't, d- Sillian, I've, I've got Killian for that to... you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Killian's
2: like my cycling Google I don't actually need to keep information in my head anymore I just ask <laughs> Killian
0: <laughs> well I do have I have a great uh, young pro here actually uh, sorry not pro he's a very very young guy who's, uh, who's going to turn pro soon and he's, he's in the truck doing bits of research that so I asked for uh, when I want to find out things I haven't mean, even he he hasn't been able to find out yet. So it would be interesting to see, uh, see, see when that was. But what, it's such a good story as well. And I know with them saying Quebec last year, we talked a lot about the atmosphere and the smiles. And I remember when Steve Cummings won that stage on, uh, into Mond on Mondola Day last year. Uh, you know, the smiles just all around everywhere, not just in the team, but also in the whole world of cycling. And even though they've changed their name, you know, the, the charity is a huge part of that team still. And everybody's so pleased for them. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, with good reason. They're a fantastic bunch of lads. Now, the other thing which really puzzled me today was what the hell is going
0: on with Vincenzo Niboli? <laughs> OK, listen, this is, this is an out-of-the-box theory. I have not been following pro cycling for as long as you or for as long as most of your listeners. I know that. So please forgive me, guys, if I'm being really stupid. But since 2012, nobody has been able to think as you said, out of the box enough to work out how to beat Team Sky Uh, in the same way that nobody, despite the way they did it, nobody was able to tactically outsmart U.S. Postal. Mm. And I just, and I was speaking actually to an XDS yesterday, uh, who's here, a Dutch guy, and he was saying, it's so frustrating when you're trying to think in a new way, tactically and strategically, most of the people who are working within the teams in cycling are not willing to think differently. They're just willing to say, well, we haven't done it like that before, or nobody's ever done that before. But the, my, my frustration the last few years has been, and I've shouted it at the TV, somebody do something different. Otherwise, Chris Swoon's going to win again. Yeah. You know, and we saw last year, okay, Nairo attacked, but it was on the stage 20 and yeah, they left it too late. So it may be stupid, and forgive me if it is, but is there any possibility that Astana or, uh, or Vino are just tactical geniuses or genii, where, and they've said, okay, we've got to do something crazy. No one's going to suspect it. Let's get Nibali to lose all that time. Then we can chuck him up in the break, not just for stage wins, but also so that others have to start to think about what they're going to do about Nibali up ahead. Again, he can drop back and help Aru, of course, as is as, as a common tactic, as we all expect him to do. But by having him up, up ahead so much, if, get, if they let him go in breakaways, after a couple of days, Sky are going to have to say, oh, we can't let the breakaway go. And then, we, and then the other teams might be able to start attacking Sky in a different way. I don't know if it'll work, John. And I may, like I say, I may be saying the most ridiculously stupid uh, and naive thing in the world of cycling. But I just hope that in some way, these guys are trying to think differently this year because they've got to if they want to beat Chris Froome and Team
2: Sky I tell you there's something going on I had a a theory not unlike that the other day and for me when he's dropped by the likes of Daryl Impey but is able to get into the break and looks comfortable and threatening in the break it it can't just be that he doesn't have form and the more often he goes up the road and doesn't you know make a blind and attack the more likely he is to get a bit more leeway next time so I, I, I do think they might be playing a clever Game I, and we've seen yeah. before, you know, they nip in at the end of Grand tours and win them. So, yeah. you know, Alexander Vinokurov is not a stupid guy. He You know, he may no. be doing something, and I really hope so, because yeah. you know, you can say Froom hasn't won, you know, as many as we expected, but that's usually because he's fallen off. You know, yeah, bar, yeah, barring yeah, incident, right. you know, it, he's going to win um, this yeah. year with Nairo Quintana. I think we've got the first credible competition.
0: I tell you, agreed, agreed.
2: You know, we were, talking, uh, we were talking just before, again, we started recording, have a drink. And um, <laughs> I've, I've been fairly sceptical about, um, you know, the testing for motors with, uh, you know, the tablet, which was less than a million euros and stuff. Um, you yeah. actually, you, you overheard the conversation today, which gave me some faith that they're taking it super seriously.
0: Yeah, I was standing just before doing our show after, um, after the stage today. I was standing, I just, by coincidence uh, wink, wink. I happen to be standing next to the four guys who have, uh, the responsibility for testing the bikes with these little iPad things. It works with magnetic resistance, as I'm sure the listeners will know already. I spoke to them a little bit and I asked them how effective it was. And I said, what if they just insulate the motor within the, uh, within the stem or the part or, or one of the down tooth or other? And, uh, you know, you won't be able to, you won't be able to detect it because insulation would can, can easily, uh, offset the magnetic resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't, they didn't answer, they just kept their mouth at that point. Uh, however, I then said, okay, well, you're going to have to, in that case, all what we need is a big airport-style X-ray machine, uh, you know, at the end of every race. is the only way to really do it. And they said, actually, no, that wouldn't be any more effective than the iPads we've got. However, at about that moment, the, guy, the phone rang, the mobile rang one of the guys, and his boss was friendly to say uh, they wanted them to check Vincenzo Nibali's bike tonight. Uh, at the end of the stage, so they, they then put Vincenzo Nibali on the list. There was some confusion as to whether they were going to test him anyway, but, but the guy phoned to confirm it uh, or to add Vincenzo Nib- Vincenzo Nibali's name to the list and. You know, read into that what you will, but I'd like to read into it that, yes, they really are taking it seriously, the possibility of motorised bikes.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, you are going to get the tinfoil hat brigade who are going to take that as an indication that, that you know, that was an intelligence driven, uh, you know, choice to test the bike. But it's equally possible that they've just got a rotation of all the top riders and they're making sure that at least one or two of the top riders' bikes gets tested every day to try and, you know,
0: sustain some credibility
2: in the system. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although anyone who has any doubts about uh, about cycling in that way isn't I don't there's no way gonna think that it was due to intelligence. We've never no, <laughs> we haven't seen a joined up intelligence approach to, <laughs> to cheating in the sport for, for a long, long time. Or ever in fact. I tell
2: you one thing, I mean the other question I had today was we saw uh Frances de Geux working hard on the front actually at the start of the call d'Aspin and eventually to the to the detriment of their own guy. Um, Tibo Pino lost, what, three minutes today? Um, I mean, did, did you manage to get a look at him as he crossed the line or, or came to near the finish?
0: No, I didn't see him. Uh, I saw pretty much all the others. I was looking out for him to see how he looked, but uh, no, I didn't see him today. He's, he's a rider who obviously has an enormous amount of potential, but he does seem to lose things at inopportune times, and I think he's, he's affected a lot by morale. I know when I look at him, I look at his physique, and I think, that may have to change if he's really going to challenge for, for, for a gun tour. But, um, but compared to yesterday, I should say, John, as well, compared to yesterday, all the riders coming down uh, towards the buses looked absolutely fine. They looked really fresh. Uh, Dan Martin looked great coming down. Alberto was laughing and joking with Juan Antonio as well just before the show. Uh, the only guy who didn't was Adam Yates, who, uh, who had his face smashed up a little bit. Um, because the Flam Rouge, as you know, uh, collapsed on top of them, and I think he was the guy who went down hardest. But uh, No doubt that would be, yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. To be honest, they let themselves down, they let the Thought of France down, etc. Et
2: now, we have to actually talk about the major talking point before I let you go. The major talking point of the day is can we expect to see you and Juan Antonio signed up for the next uh, series of Strictly Come Dancing?
0: <laughs> Strictly come Kayleigh we're hoping for Strictly come Kayleigh uh, I don't think so no I really don't Although it did uh, it did make me chuckle An awful lot that someone had created a gif out of it
2: uh, It's absolutely awesome And my favourite gif was the one of the hobbits Dancing on the table
0: <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that one yet I'll go and have a look off the show <laughs>
2: but, no, I mean you looked like you'd had a wee bit of tuition Did they take you aside and show you the steps Before they they brought you into the, the reel real?
0: Uh, I was at I was at university in Durham, Tom, so uh, I was up at Annick and uh, and doing, doing a little bit of reeling many years ago.
2: <laughs> well, we'll catch, <laughs> we'll catch up with you tomorrow. I mean, today was just a taster for, for the Pyrenees to come. Um, tomorrow's going to be exciting, and I think we're in for an absolute humdinger on Sunday before the rest day. So keep your eyes peeled for us, and thanks again for your time, Ashley.
0: No problem. Great pleasure. I've got to go now, as you know, because Greg and I have got to strip the willow. Get it done, mate. <laughs> alright see you thanks a lot
1: everyone bye bye so the top tens for today's stage Steve Cummings wins ahead of Daryl MP by one minute and five along with Daniel Navarro in third Vincenzo Nibali came in in fourth two minutes fourteen down while Greg Van Avermet valiantly came in in fifth at three minutes and four in sixth place was Luis Angel Mati at four minutes and twenty five along with Geraint Thomas Woodpools, Gorka Isager and Alaha. Handro Valverde in 10th. So Greg Van Avermet extends his lead in the yellow jersey, ahead now of Julien Alaphilippe by 6 minutes and 36 seconds. Alejandro Valverde sits in third at 6 minutes and 38. Joaquin Rodriguez sits in fourth at 6 minutes and 39. Well, Chris Froome sits in fifth at 6 minutes and 42, along with Nairo Quintana in sixth, Warren Barguil in seventh, Pierre Verlond in eighth, Dan Martin in ninth, and Fabio Aru in tenth. Tomorrow's stage 8 is where the GC battle must begin. And it will be an earnest battle as the riders tackle the 184 kilometres from Pau to Bagnard de Luchon, famous touchstones in the Pyrenees, and this stage will feature even more famous calls of the tourmalet and the perisord.
2: I think it's an exciting stage in prospect. I mean, we're into the legendary roads, which, uh, as it sues who said, you know, have been soaked by the sweat of giants. Um, you know, the, these are these are claims which should be familiar, as the Aspán is with every fan of cycling. Um, you know, and again, we've got a, a downhill finish. It's not a summit finish, but again, Ooh. well, no, I'm I'm kind of with you, but part part of me is going no. I, I'm fine with it because. I don't mind it as long as it's not 20k from the finish. Yeah, Do you know what yeah. I mean? No, no, it's yeah, a summit finish yeah. where they're coming over the top and it, you know the finish is close enough to the foot of the descent that they might actually be able to use the descent to attack or be able to force a break that they've made on the on the climb. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to see a summit finish, but I think this is a really nice compromise. But just the sheer weight of the number of climbs tomorrow, you know, the, the stacked one after the other. And the two is
1: the first one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are giants of the Pyrenees. It, it, yeah, it's going to be a hard, hard day. And this weekend is going to start to shape the GC properly. Whether it all happens tomorrow, I'm not sure. I think we'll see more happen on Sunday. But you know, this is this stage tomorrow is just, you know, the roads are the stuff of legend. How can you not take a sickie and sit and watch it?
1: Mm, well, it's Saturday. <laughs> you'd, surely hey, you'd yeah, think, retail, do? mate.
2: People work well, on that's a Saturday. A good, that's a
1: fair point. I mean, I, I was just impressed that you actually knew Uh, or i knew rather it was it was saturday tomorrow because all the days as ever are blurring into one just to your point of it not being a big long run into the finish after the descent we only actually have two kilometers or just over two kilometers by the time they come off the the um the descent from Mm -hmm. from the pair so it really is all about not only that ascent but the descent as well so it's it's Fascinating stuff, and I do have to ask you: What do you think is going to happen? Because it is all about the GC tomorrow.
2: I think we'll, I think we'll see a very, very high pace being set by Movie Star and Team Sky. It could still be a breakaway. I mean, you could easily have a breakaway tomorrow, um, and we could have one of those really enjoyable days where you, you get, get the thrill of watching. Yet. Yeah, exactly. You get the thrill of watching the break play out, and then you get the GC battle. I think we'll see an absolutely hellish pace set by Sky and Movie Star. Um, between them, um, and I think if anybody sees a chink of weakness in in any of the other major contenders, then we 'll start to see big attacks, otherwise, you know you could see something just like a, a longer, harder version of today where essentially what they 're doing is they 're treating the, the entire three days as one stage, if you like, and tomorrow is just about breaking up uh, breaking the strength putting fatigue into the legs of the opponents and the knowledge that you're strong enough to deliver a a coup de gras on Sunday. But, you know, it it depends how they race it, but I think we're going to see absolute carnage in that final climb tomorrow. I really do. And I think we'll find out um, actually, I, you know, mentioned that Alberto Contador was laughing and joking today, as opposed to being rushed away in the car before anybody could talk about, to him. So we'll see if he's fit. Um, you might see the likes of Tibo Pino going for a long one to try and make up for the time that he's lost if he's just only a, had Azure Songs and actually is fit. And the other fascinating thing for me is, you know, with Greg Van Avermaet still in the yellow, BMC can afford to be creative because the entire team doesn't have to even, you know, look at protecting him. Because everybody's now expecting him to lose it. So they can just go, ah, oh, you know. If he's in a break, it's brilliant. But if not, they can just go, well, you know, he's he's not gonna stay in it, we're not gonna waste their time. So the BMC tactics are gonna be fascinating to watch. I think it's gonna be a really cerebral stage, you know, one for the connoisseur of, of tactics of cycling tomorrow. Um, which kinda rules me out, but I'm still gonna enjoy watching it.
1: <laughs> I I was really interested to, to hear Ashley talking about Alberto Contador and what the immediate thought I had there was will the will the G. c. guys, will Froome and Quintana live to regret not putting them to the sword over the the last couple of days, especially today?"
2: I think it's entirely possible. I mean, as you pointed out yesterday, he's had a couple of bad days, but he's still in that group, you know. I mean, to lose 33 seconds when he looked as bad as he did the other day was an amazing feat when you think about, you know, the fact that uh, Tinkov screwed up their tactics so much. So although I, I do think he's hurt, um, we've seen in the past, you know, to win a, a win of well after your legs dropped off is a very impressive <laughs> thing as well. So... You know, It's only a fool who discounts Alberto Contador mm.
1: uh, As to Froome and, and Quintana what, what do you expect from, from them tomorrow?
2: Not a clue I genuinely don't Because I think they, they both look super strong Their teams both look super strong um, I, I, What I expect is for them to be locked together As if they're handcuffed together you know they'll be really watching each other. Um, whether they they you know whether that watching and whether that performance rips apart the race behind them, uh, we'll find out. And if the race is hard enough and they see an opportunity, make no mistake they'll go for it. But I think tomorrow you won't be able to split them by more than a few seconds. No, they I'm, both I'm, look really impressive. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm right with you on on that. I think you talked about Movistar and Sky really setting at a ferocious pace across probably the the, the final two climbs, not just the pair itself, um, but the, the first cat climb that, that precedes it and I, I think it might be you know, whether there's a breakaway with enough time to, to actually decide the stage winner, I obviously we'll will not know until tomorrow, but I think leading that group of GC favourites, which will be absolutely shattered on the Perisword, will be Chris Froome and Nairo Quintana so it will be them, I think, gaining time but... Whether anybody else has been able to hang with them, we shall find out.
2: Yeah, and of course the one that we haven't mentioned much because he's he's kept his light hidden under a bushel to a certain extent is Roman Bardi. I mean, the French lost some interest, I think, with Thibaut Pino struggling today. But Bardi, is uh, he's, a, he's a bit of an unknown, you know. We we know he can descend, and it's a finish and a descent today. And if he's climbing as well as he seems to be, you know, he was trying to force the the pace the other day then, you know, we could still see some podium interest for the French after the Pyrenees is gone. And, of course, the other Frenchman who's still and uh, with a shout we saw being very active today was Warren Barguil. So, you know, although, although you know, no stage winners, it, it's still good for the home country. There's still some serious stuff to be watching if you're uh, sitting at home with your, you know, with your beer blanche in front of the telly.
1: And and Julien Alaphilippe is still very much an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. We've seen him in... in you know, week-long races or even one-day classics but we still haven't seen him perform over, over three weeks in a Grand Tour and still sitting in second place we don't know whether he's an anomaly like Greg Van Averma or whether I mean we saw him go on the attacks you know to a certain extent today or whether he is actually the real deal and is a, a, a Grand Tour rider in the making.
2: I'm just thinking how much, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sitting at home with my gammy hip. I'm thinking how amazing it would be to be on the stage up front two if you had a French winner and the French football team had just won the European Championships.
1: I may move to France and renounce my citizenship, which actually I may do anyway given current events. But that's another story.
2: Yeah, I put a string of onions in a burial and pretend you're French.
1: I could you're rock get that in look. In about three years, mate. I could rock that look. Anyway, thank you for joining us today. As Steve Cummings took stage seven by the scruff of the neck at 25 kilometres to go, and never really let go until he crossed the finish line at Lac de Payol Join us again tomorrow as we discuss the first big day in the Pyrenees on stage eight in another edition of the VeloCast.